So since Easter, we've been sharing stories because we believe this, and God has not just written a story, but he's writing stories. And so we've had people just kind of variously come up uh, and tell their story. And we're going to invite Stanton up here to tell his story. So this is Stanton. He's going to tell his story. Uh, and I'm just excited to hear, have him share with you uh, his story, how God is working and through his life. Stanton, take it away. Morning. So uh, I've had terrible allergies lately. Um, if I sneeze, I warn you, I'll, I'll try to move the mic away. Um, so let's see, my story is, I've, I've actually struggled for years to figure out how to, how to tell it in a way that makes sense. Do I got a timer up there? No, you're good. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> um, so I grew up in, I grew up in a, in a non-religious family, right? Um, and I know that for, for a lot of people, there are, you know, some, some assumptions that come with that. Um, I, I don't think that my family fit, fit the, the mold of what, what church people assume when they hear non-religious family. Um, my parents were, were wonderful, uh, wonderful parents, um, upstanding upstanding people, they went to their jobs, they took care of their kids, um, I have a younger brother. Um, but as far as, as far as I knew, they didn't believe, and they didn't, uh, they didn't teach us to believe. Um, and so in, in my early childhood, what I knew about, about Christianity, about God, about heaven and hell, I had sort of um, picked up from um, from Farsight Comics and, and reruns of The Simpsons. Um, which, you know, of course I had, I had some questions and some misgivings. <laughs> uh, and I remember, I remember I was, you know, in fifth grade or so, and I was uh, sitting at the lunch table with my friends and we were, you know, eating our Bosco sticks or whatever fifth graders eat. Uh, and the topic of do you believe in God came up. And I, I told my table, no, I don't. And they, you know, they slammed their hands down on the table and I said, you're going to hell. How can you, how can you do that to yourself? And I, I quoted, quoted Captain Janeway and I, I told them basically, I don't like threats and I don't like bullies. <laughs> um, and so that, that did not convince me. Um, but when I was around 12, um, my mother started going to a church, um, and she took me with took me with her a few times. And this was the first time that I'd really been inside a church. The first time that I'd you know experienced um, a, a church service and, and a church congregation. Um, and she also gave gave me a copy of the Bible and a copy of Left Behind, because um, you know those are the two books, right? <laughs> Keep in mind, she didn't know what she was doing either. <laughs> Uh, so, and I'm, you know, I'm a precocious 12-year-old kid, you know, and I considered myself open-minded, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to read these things. Um, so I read those things, um, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Um, and the, the super weird thing that I, I still struggle to put into words is before, before I really read these, read these things for myself, 
one, one of the reasons that I felt, that I felt confident in, in my atheism was that if, if there were a God who wanted our attention, he'd be getting it, right? If, if he wanted us to believe in him, he'd make sure we did. Um, and I looked around and I saw a world with all kinds of, um, all kinds of messages claiming all kinds of contradictory things. Um, and I didn't, I didn't hear a clear voice. And I said to myself, okay, well, you know, it, lack, of, lack of message implies that there's lack of someone sending a message. Um, oh, I should probably, see this is gonna run long. You're fine. This is gonna run long. Um, I should give some background on my father too. Um, my father has uh, for decades now been, um, been a political activist um, working especially with prisoners um, and prison reform. Um, he is, in fact, a prison abolitionist. He, he doesn't believe that uh, the U.S. prison system as it currently stands um, should exist um, and for, because um, for, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, it uh, it's, doesn't place an emphasis on rehabilitation. It's, it's excessively punitive. Um, it uh, reinforces and, and perpetuates uh, all manner of um, social inequalities in our society. Um, and he thinks that it shouldn't be. And while I don't take quite that strong an opinion on it, I see what he means. Um, and I, I've come to understand that my father has been pretty, pretty soured on the idea of Christianity because he has been so thoroughly disappointed by so many Christians who don't care as deeply as he does about the oppressed, about the marginalized. Um, and that, that's, that's been difficult for me to deal with. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm 12, I'm reading, I'm reading my Bible, I'm reading my Left Behind. Um, and so the thing, that, the thing that's difficult for me to, to explain is that the, the moment, basically, when I first conceptualized of, of, a, of a universe like ours that was actually built by a creator god in, su like, in, in such a way that I could make sense of it. Um, a, a creator god who, who values faith in us such that he doesn't, you know, blare his name into our consciousnesses sort of thing. The, the moment that I could even conceive of such a thing, I realized I believed it. Um, and this wasn't, this wasn't the belief that I wanted even, right? Like I, I was, you know, the open-minded 12-year-old who was like, I'm not gonna read this. I, I didn't want to be changed by it, right? <laughs> um, but uh, the, the moment that I could figure out how to believe in God, I realized that I did. Um, and a lot of people, you know, at this point in, in their story, talk about how suddenly, you know, they're full of joy and their life is fixed. And I did not have that experience at all. Um, you know, one, one of the things that I found most comforting about, about my atheism was that I believed that no one would have to suffer forever. Um, and it's, it's very distressing to me to, to think that I don't believe that anymore. Um, it's, it's a step down, <laughs> honestly. Um, and 
for for years and decades, I I struggled with, you know, I believe in in the God of the Bible, but I don't know how to trust Him. Um, I I believe in the God of the Bible, but I can't quite believe that He's good. <laughs> but I believe He's there. Um, and I mean, I I read the the whole Bible. Um, but I did it without the benefit of, of mature Christians to guide me through it, right? I didn't know any mature Christians. My mother had become one at about the same time as me. She didn't know anything I didn't. Um, and so I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, I'm reading the Old Testament and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing blood sacrifice and I'm seeing, you know, brutal punishment and I'm seeing numerous genocides, you know, and I'm, somehow I believe this and I can't figure out how to stop. I tried to stop a few times, um, and I didn't figure it out. Um, and so it was, it was years of me just sort of sitting in that spot. Um, and the only thing that I ever really got from God, like I bring the, I talk, I talk to God, you know, like, well, you, you know that I have these, you know, you, you know that I'm deeply mistrustful. I, I believe that you understand everything. Like, there's no point trying to hide that from you. So I talked to him about this. Um, and, you know, I'd say, have you read this chapter of your Bible? Explain yourself. <laughs> um, and really the only, the only response I ever got was, you Stanton? I, I can very much understand why you would have those misgivings after after the experiences and the readings that you've just had. And you just sort of sit there with me. <laughs> um, so years later, I finally did find um, a, a, you know, a more mature and older Christian, not older, but, you know, older in the faith that I could, that I felt comfortable actually talking about these things with. Um, you know, I tried, I tried my pastor at the time a few times, and I got unhelpful non-answers and a book of unhelpful non-answers that were not satisfying to me. Um, but I finally did find someone that I could actually share these things with and who would actually, like, listen and try to talk, talk me through them. Um, and that was my wonderful wife, Jessie. I love you. Um, she was very helpful. She still is. Um, I don't know where I'd be without her. Um, and I, uh, over the years, did, you know, came to read a variety of, of authors who had also wrestled with a bunch of these questions. One of the things that I found most frustrating was that a whole bunch of the people that I'd meet in church and a whole bunch of the people that you, you know, you find, that, you know, the names at the Christian bookstore didn't seem bothered by the same types of questions that I was. Um, and so I felt, I felt like, I felt like either I was the crazy one or all of they, all of them, you know, or all, they all were. And I didn't like really either one of those conclusions. Um, but I eventually did find some writers who, who were bothered by some of the same questions I was. Um, so I've, I've found the writings of um, Philip Yancey very helpful, um, Lee Strobel, uh, Hugh Ross, definitely. Um, and just being able to, to read 
thoughtful, thoughtful explorations of some of some of the tricky things that have been really poking me in the back of the faith for for decades, and you know, not even just finding answers because answers are elusive, but just knowing that I'm not alone in being bugged by this stuff um, has been very very helpful. Um, another thing that, that's been really helpful has been, oddly enough, uh, teaching. So when I was, you know, when I was 12, I, I knew three things with, with a good deal of certainty. I knew that I would never use math in my adult life. I knew that I would never teach, and I knew that I would never be a Christian. And so now I teach math at a Christian school. Um, <laughs> um, and it's, it's, been, it's been healing to me even to be able to bring up some of these, some of these really like gotcha issues about the Christian faith with kids who were my age when I first had to deal with them all on my own. And, and to help kids like that, like, you know, thoughtful, thoughtful kids who see something and start to get bugged by it. it it's healing to me to be able to help that kind of, that kind of kid, the kind of kid that I was. Um, and the other thing I have to say, though, is that for the longest time, I was trying not to be a Christian more than I was trying to be a Christian, and that didn't seem to matter to God. I, you know, I'd, I'd say all this stuff at him, and he'd, he'd just sort of sit there with me, and he'd be like, you know, I'm here with you. You just know I'm here with you, and you know I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not leaving you. Um, for better or worse, I'm not leaving you. Um, so I, I can really testify to, to God's faithfulness, um, even, even in the face of someone who's, you know, making a pretty good effort to get away. Um, and if, if I can, I'd like to... Um, I'd like, I'd like to end my, my testimony here with, with a prayer request because um, my, my father's case has, has never left my mind. Um, he, is still, um, he is still burned off of, off of um, the concept of God because he is so disgusted with Christians. Um, and that is a really tough one for me to try to approach. Like, what do I do? You know? And, like, I've, I've come, you know, I've... I've come to a certain amount of comfort in that knowing that, you know, if, if my father does come to the Lord, it will be more the Holy Spirit's doing than my own. But I feel like, you know, I'm not off the hook. I need to, I need to do something. But it's a tough one. Um, and so one thing I can do is I can pray. Um, and I would appreciate your, your assistance in that. Um, and perhaps, perhaps you know someone similar that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that person who's a little bit too smart and too stubborn. Um, if you have a similar person, you know, I'll, I'll pray for yours if you'll pray for mine. Thank you very much. In light of that, let's just pause, because we've all had somebody in our life like that. So let's just take a moment, let's just pray, and bring them before the Lord. God, thanks for who you are. Thanks, thanks for the fact that you are writing stories today. And God, we lift up Satan's dad. We lift up the people in our own lives. 
that are far from me. Who, for whatever reason, whatever, like, whatever issues there are, whatever that is, legitimate, illegitimate, it doesn't matter, God. For some reason, they don't believe you and they don't trust you and they won't follow you. So God, we bring those people before you by name. And we ask that you would show up and be real in their lives. We love you, God. To you, we pray this. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, we are glad to have you guys here this morning. If you're new with us here, we'd love to connect with you at guest services after the service. Um, it's over by our One Cup Cafe, and we have a gift for you guys just for being here. Um, I was loading up some fresh Albanese gummies this morning, so be sure to stop by. And then um, I just wanted to uh, let you guys know it is our Mission Sunday, so um, the last Sunday of the month we kind of dedicate to uh, giving to missions, and a uh, mission that we've chosen this year is Destiny Rescue, and they help rescue children out of sex trafficking, and not just rescue them, but help rehabilitate them so that they can have a new life um, and a new future that they would have never seen before. And it's just so exciting to be a part of this church because even though we're small and we're in Indiana and they're across the world, um, our church has been able, we are like one donation away from getting our second child rescued from sex trafficking this year, which is a huge deal. So what we're doing here makes a difference over there in these child's lives because it's just you're taking something that seems so hopeless and we're bringing a whole new life to it and it's just incredible. So thank you guys for doing that, for giving. Um, if you wanna give to that specifically, if you wanna give to the Vision and Mission of Rethink Church, we do that, we have a box in the back. If you wanna give in person or you can give online at rethinkchurch.cc. And um, if you wanna give specifically for Mission Sunday to that ministry, um, if you're doing it in person, there's little envelopes in the back there that say missions. So any money that goes in the missions envelopes will go to Destiny Rescue. Um, or if you go online, it's Kingdom Builders? Missions. Still missions. So choose the missions tab if you're given if you want to do that specifically for Destiny Rescue. Um, but just thank you so, so much for giving and for choosing to invest in these kids that we've never met before. Um, but we'll get to hopefully someday meet in heaven and just get to celebrate with. So... Um, we hope you guys enjoyed the service today. We're glad you came. I grew up in a house where, like, God was not a word we used a lot. Um, I would listen in class and I would hear these stories of all these crazy things that happened. You know, you hear Noah built an ark and brought all these animals and you hear that, you know, Jesus died on a cross and then came back. And I was like, okay, all right, it's a great story. I, I appreciate a good story, but I didn't believe it. I came back from college like a couple years later and um, I was feeling kind of lost. I was just like, I don't know where my place is and thinking, where do I fit in, you know? I sat down one day and I was like, you know what, what's the common denominator in all of the people in my life that are happy? And I realized they all went to church and I didn't think anything like, oh, you know, that's definitely what it is. I thought, you know, no, that's not it. Just being crazy. And then one day my cousin, who I'm super close to, was like, you know, why don't you come to church with us on Sunday? And so I went, and that weekend, the pastor just, I swear, he was talking straight at me. He made me laugh so hard that I almost fell out of my chair. I remember leaving and feeling a sense of peace. And I was like, you know what, this isn't bad. Like, I don't mind coming. My cousin's husband at the time had gone through Rooted. I saw this incredible change in him, and I was like, who are you? What happened to you? And he's like, Rooted, man. I got, I, I'm telling you, it's Rooted. You got to do it. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to go to a class on God. No, there's, I barely come to church like okay you know I'm gonna try it I'll just I'll go one week 
see how it goes. We went around the room that night and we just kind of talked a little bit and I was like, you know what, that wasn't so bad. Go back next week. All right, I'll go. I started to feel really connected to the people, and I think the moment when I was like, These are my people. One of the weeks you talk about just what you're having trouble with in your life, and I just started sobbing. And there's one person patting me, and one person has my hand, and everyone's just looking at me with this look of love. And I'm thinking, There are 15 people sitting here, and they do nothing but love me, and it's unconditional, and I don't understand why. And I remember thinking, I, I really, I love this group of people. And there was this moment, I looked down at my book, and I was like, I believe this. This isn't just a story anymore. No, I, I believe this. I'm not just saying this because I want to. I genuinely believe it. So whereas before I was feeling alone and like I really didn't have a purpose or a place, through God I have this community of people who love and care about me. I have the strength just from Him and through everyone around me and it's, it's really, it's a great feeling. So I don't know if you're picking up on a theme and I'll be honest with you, this is all God because we did not plan like this, so I'll just be honest with you. So Russell, you told a story about you remember the time when you believed in, like God loves you? Saying you told your story, I don't know the place name, her name is something else from Rooted, that's all I know. So here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna next week start launching these Rooted groups. And so we're gonna host that here in church on Thursday nights. And so we're just gonna say, if you have questions, you wanna work through stuff in your faith, this is what we're here for. So we did not start this church for church people. We started this church for people who doubt, skeptic, gave up on church, pick at certain things, because that was my story. Uh, some of it was your story, still is your story, right? And so this is what we do. So, and, and here's, the, here's the safety guard and the safety net in this. If you do that by yourself outside a community, you'll go insane. Or you lose your faith, right? You do that inside of the community and people push back, people have, like clarify certain things. And that's the beauty of doing this together. And so um, you'll see more information, but we are excited to offer Rooted. Uh, it'll be workbooks and stuff like that, but you'll be able to ask questions and have a community of people around you to work through issues of the faith. So uh, if you've been with us, by the way, my name's Mark and me, I've met you, there I am, here's up. Uh, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna go to Ephesians chapter four, verse one. And then we're going to jump to 11 because that's what we do. Um, so, but I just have to kind of layer back into Ephesians chapter 1, uh, sorry, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. And then we're going to jump into it and I'll jump into the message. So here's what it says, Paul. And by the way, if you notice, I don't, how many of you guys, when you read these letters, you skip the first few verses? Because you're like, it's just a greeting, like whatever. I do it all the time. But here's what I'm starting to like realize. This is what the goal is. Because it's listing, like Paul is listing who he who is writing with him. And who, like if you look at the very ending, it's the same thing. I'm always like, yeah, a bunch of names, whatever. In my opinion, this is also people who are feeding into these letters saying, hey, I'm, I'm in this room with them as well, right? It's like, how many of you guys have seen that Rembrandt painting of Paul and they're like at a desk with a candle by himself? And I'm reading this and that's what I thought these letters were like. And now I'm studying this. I'm like, no way. A, he was a traveling pastor, like a traveling, like apostle, because not like he had an office by himself. He would have shared like a room in his spare bedroom, but if there's like three or four guys with him, it's like college dorm style. You know what I mean? Like there's not some quiet study off by himself. Um, so here's that. So here's Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Paul says this, therefore I a prisoner. Once again, he's reminding us that he's in prison, right? Urging you to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. Keep that in mind, jump to 11. Here's what he said. 
And he, Christ, gave, him, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the church until we all reach unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity and the stature and measure. Uh, I'm going to read verse 16 for us. You don't have to jump there. You just listen to it. From him, Christ, the whole body is fitted together, knit together by every supporting ligament, like it's promoting the growth of the body for building itself up in love and proper working for each other, each individual part. All right, now, verse 1, Paul's reminding us in this that we have a calling. And here's the deal. If you grew up in church, pastors in my generation would say, if you have a calling, what does that typically mean if you're in church that somebody had a calling? They have a calling to be a pastor. And we treated the pastor or pastor calling like it was some like, you're going to be like a Navy SEAL and only certain people can get it. And I'm like, sure, I bought into it for a little bit. And then I'm studying this going, bullcrap, you know what I mean? Like, you can't say call bullcrap the church, but people call bullcrap the church, right? So here's the deal. When we do this, what we're actually doing is we're segregating certain parts of the body of Christ. And we're saying, unless you have this pastoral role, what you do is nice and helpful, but it's not really ministry. And so we make a JV varsity level. But is that, does that sound like the kingdom of God? Does that sound like what we studied in Matthew, if you're with us for that? Does it sound like what Paul is trying to do here? And any of this? No. And here's what I started to walk through, is that every single one of us have a calling. And what does that look like for us to live into our calling? <clears throat> like, I didn't wake up one day. I was like, you know what? A great career path for me is to be a pastor. It's where you make a lot of money. It's where you have a lot of fame. And according to certain people, you can wear some nice sneakers. <laughs> right? So, I just woke up one day and I was like, you know what? This is how I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you my calling really quickly in a small little snapshot. And we're going to work through some stuff. And how did the Allworks end up here in Maryville under a calling of God? And what does that even look like? So, when I was 17 years old, we were uh, forced to go to church growing up. And so, I was there, 17 years old. It was our, after a youth group. And my point of going to church was, A, to keep my mom off my back, because that was a rule, and I didn't want to break her rule. Like, when we acted out in church, like, we had cues. Um, I got called out by our pastor. He was an 80s, like, evan televangelist-looking guy. You know, like, I called him helmet hair because of all the hairspray in his hair, and it was gray and silver, and it was like this, like, thing. Um, so I'm, like, acting out. I was, like, six years old, and uh, I'm acting out, and he called me out in church. He's like, young man, shut up. And I was like, you shut up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't tell me to shut up. Who are you? So my mom reaches over with a wooden spoon from behind. It was like, poof, on the back of my head. So I knew that if I, like, acted out, that was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, that's old school mom. You know what I mean? Now, if we did that, we'd be like, oh, don't, don't, you know, tweet that or Instagram or whatever. Like, we freak out, right? Because now there's video evidence. So now parents have to be creative. How do you control our kids without video evidence being around, right? Like, that's, that's a challenge. So. It is. Um, that's where the steering wheel comes into place from the neck. So, uh, I'm just, having, just holding it down, but whatever. So, growing up, that was my point. Uh, now, I was 17 years old. I don't know what was said in our youth group, but something was said and it stirred in me. So, it was a Wednesday night. It was late April, my junior year in high school. And I'm just sitting there wrestling with God. And I knew in this moment, not that God was going to abandon me, that I was going to stop searching God if I didn't settle something in that night. Does that make sense? 
And so I'm settling and like wrestling with God. And I don't, I can't explain it, but I just remember Jesus making himself in a real genuine place and simply saying, I'm here for you and I'm here with you. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Um, and so I trusted him. And in that same moment, here's what he said. And by the way, you have called to be a pastor. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and he was like, you just said you're going to trust me with your life. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I had a whole career path already planned. Um, I was in a punk band by, uh, in high school. I had a ton of sound equipment or band dissolved. So I started a company, and I would just go around running sound for punk bands. Because that was the sweetest thing to do. I had a small little truck. It fit, fit perfectly. I had totes and all this other stuff. I had the sound snake. I had the amps. I had everything that we needed to do this. And I would drive around to Chicago, to Kentucky, to sometimes Nashville. I mean, I wouldn't ask my mom for permission either. I'd be like, hey, mom, I'll be in Kentucky this week. And she'd be like, okay, don't die. You know what I mean? Like, this is before cell phones. So, like, I was like, all right. So, as I'm doing this, the sound company in Michigan, I worked with them on a couple of things, installing new sound systems in our high school and church and stuff. And the guy was like, I want you to come work for me. And, you know, you'll just travel around with me. I was going to be a sound engineer. This idea of being a pastor, there's no way I want to do that. Like, they're all nerds. And, you know what I mean? Like, I just didn't want to do it. Um, and so I was like, no way. And so he's like, no, you're going to. And so I started looking for uh, colleges that had pastoral degrees, which not every college has, by the way. And so I'm looking at South Carolina. I'm looking at California. But here's the, the determining factor. None of them had Heather Bradley on their campus. <laughs> and so once I realized that, I was like, why? Heather, I met Heather when I was 14 years old. And I was like, I'm marrying Heather. You know what I mean? Like, that's just going to happen. Or I'm going to, like, find her doppelganger or clone her or whatever. Like, not that it's weird, but, but I remember having this moment. And I got back from California. I was traveling to California. Um, and I went to an East Coast uh, school. My sister was like, this would be a perfect school for you. It's a ministry school. But they had two different colored sidewalks, if you know these kind of schools. One was pink and one was blue. Guys and girls. And I looked at my sister and was like, do you really think I'm going to fit into this legalistic, strange, like I'm going to break every single rule just because I want to and I can. Because I'm going to see it like a challenge. You know what I mean? And she was like, yeah, you're right. Let's go get some food. So I got back from that trip. And I had this conversation in my head like, I'm just going to go to Indiana. Like Heather's in Indiana, Austin. She's two years older than I am. I'm just going to go there. And that was how I chose a college. I don't recommend it, but... It worked out for me. You might want, like, if you're looking for college, figure it out, right? Um, you'll, like, whatever. So, all that to say, uh, we're in Indiana, what's the name? And Heather and I just had this conversation. We just dropped Shad off at college, and we just had this conversation that, like, that we, Shad's living in a dorm that both of us lived in separately because we can't live together as a college. But Heather, the way that Heather and I started talking was she had to review video footage of me pulling a prank that caused damage, and she had to point me out on the video, and I had to pay thousands of dollars to pay for the damage, because I would launch water balloons from our dorm into people's, like if they were making out on campus, we'd launch them, because it was awesome. Well, accidentally, it went to also the townhouses where there's computers, game systems, and all that, and it ruined it all. And then those guys were smart enough to start videotaping it. I was like, screw it. You know what I mean? So we're there. Uh, and I just felt like God was like opening doors to step into ministry. Does that make any sense? Like closing all these sound engineering doors and opening ministry doors. I'm like, seriously, God, like 
I thought we had a deal. I was going to go here, and you're just going to keep opening doors like this. And so I became a youth pastor my junior year uh, in Anderson. And this should have been a sign that we had like an interview on 9-11-2001. The same night of 9-11, I was like, should we cancel this? And they're like, no. And I was like, that should have been a sign. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't. So we took a group of uh, two to, like, sorry, three to four kids, and we grew this ministry to 50 kids. Problem was, it was just Heather and I, just like 50 kids, like mass chaos. And I would literally look at a board, the board of our church and be like, hey, no one got pregnant. We'd have to call the police. It was a win. You know what I mean? <laughs> and when it's 50 to 2, those are some great things to go for. And so, and that started, and then uh, we go to Florida, and I'm in Florida for three years, and I just felt like it was a mixture of my, my pure immaturity and the dysfunction of a church. Had a perfect storm, and as a result of that time, I was like, I'm never being a pastor again, screw this. So we get to Michigan, um, because we had these bills to pay and adulting to do, and so I started in the auto industry, and I'm starting doing this, and then we get involved in our church, and right as I'm like, I feel like God is calling me to step back into being a full-time pastor, like that's the only job I'm gonna have. We do that, and I gave my company several months notice, like this is gonna happen. I helped pick my, the person taking my job. And so we go, I quit on a Friday, go to church on Sunday, and things are weird at the church, and I'm like, this is just church, like whatever. Um, turns out that there's a whole coup going on. That Monday, they called the emergency board meeting, and then the church split. 2,500 people down to 500 in, like, in a week. It was horrible. And I was like, seriously, God, do you need to see this coming? Like, I would have just stayed at Denzel, the company. <coughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be fine. We're going to stay here. Heather and I stay on staff, and I take on three or four different departments. In 2014, I felt like we were at a conference, and I was like, I feel like God's asking me to step into, like, being a full-time, like, senior pastor, like, a lead pastor. And I was like, we're not doing that. Like, you don't have a filter, like, <laughs> and, like, I like eating food. You know what I mean? So, like, you make a lot of, like, we literally just went through a church split where, like, the guy said some things and made some people mad, and the whole church split over it. And I was like, awesome. So, I'm like, great, we're going to do this. Um, so that was November 2014, and so we're like still wrestling through, like, what do I have this like urge, this calling, whatever you want to call it. And then January 2015 happens, and like we just knew it was time to go. It wasn't anything horrible, we just knew like in our in our spirits it was time to leave. And so we put our house on the market and it sells in 18 days. And this is before the crazy market that we have now. Like we had friends who had their house on the market for a year and a half, two years. In that city, so we're like, we're just gonna get this thing on, on the market. So when it happened, we're like, okay, God, you're there. Um, the problem is, we didn't know where we were going, so essentially, we were homeless. Like, like, hey, we have a family of four living the American dream, but our house just got sold, and we don't know where we're going, so we live the American dream in our animal's house. Like, hey, we're just gonna sing, hang out. And that particular summer, it poured and poured and poured, like, it was like flood level, and so we were like going crazy. So we had a YMC membership. Went to the public library, started reading books, because that's what you do, you know what I mean? Um, and so, on one of the, like, sunny days, my brother-in-law was like, hey, Fort Wayne has this thing called the Rib Fest, let's go to it. And I was like, I like food. Now, here's the deal. I love ribs, but I will not eat ribs in front of Heather, because I get all that stuff in my beard. And I'm like, if you look at me like this, you're never going to want to kiss me again. So, I like 
can't, they're like all that. So anyway, so we're walking around and we're in downtown Fort Wayne. I don't know anybody in this town. Like, I don't have any connection. And all of a sudden this guy who is an old youth pastor, friend of mine, his name dropped Tippy, walks up, he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, this is a way longer story than I can talk to. So um, the Wesleyan Church has a few thousand pastors. So we know each other. It's kind of like this cult, in a sense, is what I call it. Um, it feels weird. Like, once somebody knows, then everybody knows. And so he knew I was on staff, this massive church split. It got to the point where, like, the head of the denomination had to come meet with our staff. And I was like, this is weird. And I called her out. It was like, it'd be like if, you know, the president had to go out and deal with the city issue. Feels way out of step. You know what I mean? Um, she didn't like it that I called her out on that. But I was like, whatever. And so, um... So Rob was like, yeah, I heard that that happened. We need to talk. Like, I want to know what happened. And I was like, I'm not going to gossip, but I'll answer your question. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, we set up a time to have lunch, and so it's like next week or so. I go to the library, and I pick up this random book called God of the Underdogs by a guy, Matt Keller. I know of Matt Keller, but I didn't know Matt Keller at that time. And so he has a line in the preface, and it's like, if you ever feel like you have a, like, you, you fit in, but you don't fit in. Like, you know you should be in this, but the way you do it doesn't work. He's like, you're probably not in the wrong place. You're actually being called to do something new. They get a new product, new business, and he says, plant a church. Now, at this point, planting a church is not on my radar. Those are, like, people with different skill sets than I do in tighter jeans um, than I have. So, and I was like, I'm not doing this. And so he has that line, and I was like, all right, full line. I show up and have lunch, and I'm, like, listening to this as I'm having lunch with Rob. And so Rob and I were talking, and Rob puts his fork down, and he's like, hey, I'm part of the district board, and we have identified Northwest Indiana. He didn't tell me Northwest Indiana. He said, we've identified a part of Indiana, we want to plant churches, and there's no churches in here, like no Western churches here. He's like, I think you're perfect for it. And I was like, I'm going to stop you right there. You said Indiana. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, nah, there's like, no. Like, and then he's like, no, no, it's like Indiana, but it's not Indiana. And I was like, <laughs> seriously? And now that I'm here, I'm like, yeah, it's like Indiana, but it's not Indiana. I'm like, I get it now. But I'm like, whatever. So I'm like, there's no way. You know what I mean? And so we're working through all this, and I get home, or like I'm on my way home, and there's something that happened in Huntington with our cell phones. Like, we got no cell phone signal. As soon as we stepped out, we get cell phone signal. And I wasn't going to change carriers just because of that. I was like, whatever. And so as soon as I get out of Fort Wayne, I get three phone calls. One from the district superintendent in Kansas, one from the district superintendent in South Carolina, Kansas City, Charleston, South Carolina specifically, and then the, the, the district superintendent here. They're all like, hey, we know you. We've been following you. We think you'd be a great church planter. Somebody can start churches. And I was like, you got the wrong guy. Um, but I wanted free trips, let's be honest with you. Like, paid for trips out to Kansas. And so I was like, yeah, sweet, we'll do this. I'll eat all the ribs I want. You know what I mean? Like, you'll pay for it because that's what's going to happen. And they're like, okay. So we get out there and they're like, mm, not that. We go to Charleston. I'm like, who would say no to Charleston, South Carolina to live there full time? Except Heather and I. Like, we got there from like, God is definitely not in here. So we're like, I guess we'll check out Northwest Indiana because that sounds where God wants us to go, whatever. <laughs> And so we're there, we're like driving around here. We have someone walking, Thomas there, who now worked with Destiny Rescue, like driving us through. And we're at Salk Elementary parking lot. 
<laughs> and I did the small whisper, this is it. And I was like, no way. Seriously, God, like, we literally just drove up from the South Lake. And he's like, this is it. And Heather can see it in my eyes. And she's like, are you kidding me? We're going to get back to Indiana. And I was like, that's it. So here's the deal. When I left ministry, there's something that happened inside of me that just started twisting around. Because I got my minister, my calling and my identity mixed up. And I thought when I struggled in ministry, it wasn't great in ministry, that it meant I wasn't good. And what have we learned in Ephesians? That we have an identity that is separate from our calling. Even like what you were saying, even if you don't want to accept that God is still here with us, that God has chosen us, that God loves us, that God has like literally sent his son to die for us. And that's our identity. Have you done anything to earn that? No. That's just who you are, right? But now we have this calling, this, this calling of worthy of our life, and then we are living a life that's worthy of our calling, which means it's not just my calling, you have a calling. You got to a point in your career, in your life, to where you are right now, and if you look back and you say, I knew that God was pointing me in this direction. The question is, what are you going to do with it? So we have a couple questions we're going to work through and we're going to go through it really quickly, but let me go back up really quickly into the Denzel years. In 2008, 2007, when I started working there, I realized quickly that I had a deficit emotionally. We talked about social-emotional learning and all that, and I learned like quickly that I was very deficit. And I was also 300 pounds overweight. Uh, not overweight, I was 300 pounds. Like, I looked down one day and I was like, can you see my feet? And the doctor's like, hey, you're fat. And I was like, awesome, thank you, like, nicely, like, way to, you know, like, soften that, like, the way you deliver. And he's like, you're going to end up with diabetes and, and, like, all these other medications, or you can just lose weight. And so I started working out, and God, on the treadmill, when I was about to quit, it was like, yo, I have a calling in your life, but you may not even be able to fulfill that calling because you physically will, your body will break down. And the same is true when I was going through counseling, because I had to deal with daddy issues and identity issues and all that. Hey, your pastor has daddy issues. It's fine. So do you. Um, but anyway, so I'll just call you out. But here's the deal. When I was going through counseling, what I realized is that I may have a deficit because there are certain issues in my past. And that calling that God has on my life and calling that God has in your life, you may have a deficit that you need to bring it back up. And that's where counseling and community helps out. And I'm not a massive proponent of counseling. I'm not like, oh, you cry, so you can go to counseling. No, like, if you have some issues in your past, work through them. Don't, put your, don't make yourself ineligible and disqualified because you have a calling in your life and you're like, I don't want to deal with my daddy issues. Deal with them. Why? Because you have a calling in your life. Live a life worthy of your calling. Don't take yourself out of the game because you don't want to deal with stuff. And eat a vegetable every once in a while. <laughs> right? Don't, don't disqualify yourself because you're like, I really like ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, so do I. Now that I had ice cream last night, I'm going to work out because I don't want to disqualify myself. That's part of this process. We have to look, like, lean into this process. And we make church all about like spiritual. And yeah, there's spiritual issues. But you have also a physical body. You also have some other issues. And so get good at your calling. And step into that. And so, part of that process, uh, we have to realize that God has a calling on us. And, and part of that process is going to learn how to be the best business person, best teacher, best law enforcement. God may not call you into ministry to be a pastor. 
Does that mean you're like somehow disqualified? No. We have a priesthood of all believers. We talked about this last week. That God is asking all of us to step in and do that. And I don't care if you're a janitor. Clean the toilets as if you're glorifying God. And love it. Right? Like this is part of that process. And so uh, when we talk about vocation, it's a Latin word that's, that's a deep moving Latin word that says the voice from within. And this is part of that process that you have a vocation that you can step into. Whatever you're going to do it, though, do it as if you're going like glorifying God. So what the scripture says, you don't do this for your boss. You actually do this for God. And whatever you're doing, you have to think through this, okay? And am I going to do this? So let's work through really quickly how you should do this, okay? You're going to be like drinking from a fire hose. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Friedrich Wigner says this, calling the quote unquote, he says this, the place of God called, that calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where the, your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. God has a call for you. So what does that actually like, mean for you? What drives you insane about this world? There's probably one or two things you're like, if I could solve this thing, it would be it. And that's most likely your calling. That's most likely the area that God is like, can you step into this? Can you find a solution for it? Can you help out people like that? Is there a certain group of people? Is it a demographic? Is it an issue? Does it line up with God's values? And can you step into that? Um, here's the problem. A lot of times we want like a neon sign. We want like this massive, like clear sign. And often it's just a whisper. And we're not willing to stop and pause and hear the whisper. We want like a louder voice. Like, okay, God, I stop. Can you turn up the volume? And a lot, oftentimes just whispers. And how do you hear a whisper? How do you understand what a whisper is? You lean in. You pause. And you listen. Oftentimes we're so fast we don't even hear it. Um, if God would have told me when we were living the American Dream in my in-laws house in 2015, hey, you're going to plant a church here, I would be like, no. The whisper came with rib dust. <laughs> what could go wrong? Right? So, <clears throat> now, oftentimes we do want signs and wonders, and there are signs and wonders sometimes. Like, the signs and wonders about marrying Heather, the fact that she was even interested in me is a sign and wonder. <laughs> like, the fact that our, like, our conversation, relationship, whatever you want to call it, rekindled because she had to point me out in a video footage, that should be, that should tell you a lot of our story right there, right? Um, and, and oftentimes we don't get the we don't get the, the signs and wonders. When I'm sitting in the cereal line going, okay, we got is it Lucky Charms this time or is it Fruit Loops this time? I don't get signs and wonders. Right? And God's like, just pick a cereal and go home, right? Like that's pretty much it. But sometimes how do we do this? So um, we all have a calling, and the, the, the number one calling we have to do is that we have to do learn how to be with Jesus. Well, our salvation is there, but are we gonna set, stop and be with Jesus? And so we talk about Hebrews chapter 11 a lot, and it says that without faith that it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Mm -hmm. Are you earnestly seeking God? Or are you just earnestly seeking answers? You want directions. Do you treat God like Siri and Google Maps? The way I've talked about it before is that we treat Jesus as like, he is the treasure map, not the treasure. Because maybe he just wants to sit there and, like, 
have you wrestled through some issues so you can spend time with me because he's a loving father. But it starts with faith. Not a whole lot of faith. According to Jesus, you only need one mustard seed. Not a handful. Just one mustard seed. And God can use it. Do you have a mustard seed worth of faith? And if so, you'll be with Jesus. The second one is this. Now we have to start doing things Jesus' ways. God-ordained ways. Ephesians chapter, chapter, chapter 2 verse 10 says this. That God has ordained things for you. That when you wake up in the morning, God has ordained certain things in your life. So you have to ask yourself, am I a, if I'm a business person, if I'm a mechanic, if I'm whatever, would Jesus show up to my workplace and cut corners the way I cut corners? If I get a 10-minute break, would Jesus take a 15-minute break? If I'm supposed to make 10 phone calls, am I, should I make those 10 phone calls? Whatever that job description is. Or am I doing the things of the way that God would want me to do them? Does that make sense? And so if not, then change your ways. The world doesn't change. The world doesn't necessarily care, but, but Jesus will. Right? The world's going to be like, oh yeah, it's a 15-minute break. It's not that big of a deal. You know how much money the corporation has, corporate against you, like whatever. They're constantly going to like, find ways to, to justify it, Right? And most of the people we work with are lazy. Let's just be honest. Right? And they find ways to cut corners. The question is, is that, is that, our, is that our job? Is that our connection there? Um, I've been, like, almost, a, I wouldn't say obsessed, but obsessed with the book of Jonah lately. And I can't really explain it other than this, this prophet is disobedient. And somehow he has a small little moment of obedience. And it ends up in a citywide uh, move of God. And I'm like, okay, God, I don't know if I'm disobedient, but, like, if you can move in spite of Jonah's inability to lead in a good way, could you move here? You know what I mean? Could we see a city with light movement of God? And so, Jonah chapter 1, God comes to him, and he says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and go tell them, like, prophesy against them, tell them, you know, like, living a life of sin. Instead, Jonah goes to Tarshish. 500 miles away compared to like 2,500 miles away. Right? Now, uh, Jeremy put that map up. This is the map of Tarshish and Nineveh compared to what Joppa is. Alright? He literally is going to the ends of the earth in their mindset. This is where the known world ends in, in the mindset there. He's way, like he's intentionally going, I'm out of here, right? And so he does this. And then this is where like Veggie Tales and Probably in a child book, it doesn't say that the people in the boat were like, hey, somebody's like, some guy's really upset with people. And so they're like, Jonah, he's like, yeah, my guy's mad at me. Throw me overboard, right? Basically, trying to like kill him. Because they're leaving him for death. So <coughs> Yahweh sends this massive fish, Uber style, picks him up, and takes him into the boat. And here's what I have to say if you're not in the right place, God will still get you where he needs you. And here's the depths of that book that Jonah gets. And here's what he says in Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And he said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and he listened to my cry. And here's where we have to get to the point of. Every move of God and every miracle that you see in the Bible starts with God. Help. If you need help, your next right step is to ask for it. 
not to feel shamed by it, not to feel like, oh, I can't move up to it, ask for help. Jonah, this disobedient prophet, is literally sitting among whatever the big whale or the big fish eats, and he's like, God help. And God did. And God ordained this moment where he had an appointment with, God, with the king as soon as Jonah got there, and all of a sudden they repent, and this city-wide movement happens, and then Jonah whines. God, I thought you were going to kill him all, but now you saved him. Right? Like, that's the, that's the Jonah that we typically don't want to, like, lead up, but that's the case, right? So a couple questions we're going to work through. Where, what has God called you to? Right? And then where am I tempted to run? So you don't have to get on a boat and do the harshest to run from God's will. Oftentimes, you can go back to your workplace, you can overwork, be addicted to your work, or a phone booth. Right? And this is the picture we're going to put up right here. 1992, I had a different phone booth. 2022, has a certain phone booth that we sell, right? <laughs> and what do we do in that phone booth? We get distracted. We're like, oh, I'm on this phone for hours. And, uh, we spend, like I read this report that, as I was getting ready for a lesson in my class, um, that, if it's, that if students spend more than three hours a day on TikTok, the nice little app that as adults don't search, it's boring, whatever. But if you spend more than three hours a day, you have a 72% chance of being, or correlation of being depressed. And so if you can do something or avoid something and not be depressed, let's not do that, right? So where are you tempted to run? How do you tend to run? Stuff like that. Third one is this, where do you need help? Are you willing to actually cry out for help? And what's the next right thing for you to do? For Jonah, the very next right thing to do was to go back and do the last thing that God asked him to do. Ever been there? God said, do this, you ran away, God found you, rescued you. And then he's like, hey, by the way, that thing is still there for you to do. And you're like, crap. Then you have a decision to make. You can either keep repeating that cycle, and it'll happen because he loves you and all that, or you can do the thing that he asked you to do, and you break that cycle. Most of the time we miss God because we don't want to be obedient to God. And he'll rescue us, and he'll, he'll love us, and care for us, and take care of us, and point it right back and say, and you still have that next right thing to do. And we stunt our maturity in God because we're unwilling to do that, and God's unwilling to move and say, hey, I'm asking you to do something, you just do it. And I'm like, can, we, can you ask me to do something else? Like, is there anything elaborate I could do? Can I just like bypass, bypass it? He's like, no, this is it. And this is where we, a lot of us are, get older in our faith, but we don't grow in our maturity in our faith because we're unwilling to do this. So whatever that next right step to do, just do it. And here's what I know. That God rescued Jonah because he loves Jonah, but he also loves the Ninevites. And God had a purpose for Jonah going to Nineveh. God rescued you because he loves you, but he also loves the people that are your Nineveh. Whatever God is calling you to go, go do it. And ask yourself, well, what's the next right thing to do? Don't, don't give into that temptation to run away, and then go do it. Right? And if you need help, you ask for it. And that's that. 1886, this guy named J.W. Munson is in the northwest part of our country in Oregon, and he's watching where the Columbia River comes out into the Pacific Ocean. It's called the Bar Crossing. And he watched this massive wreck, and 24 lifeboats are just completely destroyed. And so he survives it. He's witnessing it. One lifeboat kind of washes up on shore, and he realizes, oh, we can actually start navigating this thing. And so this is precursor to the Coast Guard, but he starts watching this. Um, and the bar crossings are, are dangerous. Like, 
the river's coming out, pushing water out, the Pacific Ocean is coming water in, and so you have this current of underwater, like pushing under, the waves coming over, so you can imagine how intense it gets. Now they fly like helicopter style, they fly the pirates out there to navigate the waters um, to do this. And so they're, you know, independently workers and stuff like that. Well, J.W. Munson is watching this because he valued life. He decided to take one of those lifeboats, restore it, make it into amazing rescue boat. He gets some volunteers, and he, what they noticed is that they could navigate these waters if all the people on the boat would row together. Insane. What did verse 16 say in Ephesians chapter 4? That Christ was the head, and all of us get to fill in the ligaments in sync, basically. And so, J.W. Menzel does this, and he starts training these volunteers to go out and save people because he valued life. And so he got him involved. He started doing this. And here's what I know. When we, when we serve within the church, we're not just serving in the church. If it's here to clean... You're not just cleaning the building because it needs clean. What you're actually doing is creating an environment where God can meet with people free of distractions. When you change a diaper in kids' ministry, you're not just changing a diaper because it stinks like crap, because it does. What you're actually doing is you're spending time and you're lovingly showing that kid that he values, that, that he or she matters to God. And when you hand that child back to the family, to the parents, you're saying, I'm valuing you. And you're not alone. By the way, you're going to face a lot of crap between now and 19 or 20 or whatever it is. And as a church, we're here journey with you. You're not by yourself. When you greet somebody at the door, you're not just opening a door for somebody. You're, you're, you're witnessing an image-bearing, God-bearing person walking through the door, and you're showing them value and love. How we serve the world reflects what we actually value in God. So when we, sign, when, we, when we ask you to sign up and just get involved, you're not just simply doing it like checking the box. You're, you're serving the church. Because here's the deal. We don't attend church. We are the church. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are and everything you've done for us. God, thanks for the move that you're constantly doing and the story that you're constantly writing in us. And Jesus, we pray that you would watch over us and that you would guide us. And as we partner with you, whether it's admission Sunday or in serving, God, would you help us to stay in sync with you? Because we all have a calling in our lives. And whatever that calling is, God, I pray that we would do it faithfully. And that we would do it with excellence. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, you pray this. Amen. All right. I hope you know this to be true, that God loves you, and that I love you, because we fought one more time, the best he has to offer for us. So let's go. Be in the church. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.